This is the weekly message from Hope Church Malmesbury. We're so glad you can join us. This week's sermon is part of our series, The Promise and the Purpose. We're walking slowly through the Gospel of Luke, verse by verse, promise by promise. Find out more about Hope Church and how to support our ministry at www.thehope.church. I hope this message will help you to see the good purpose that God has for your life and help you to walk in faith and rely on his promises every day. Here's the message. Thank you so much. Thank you, Ian. Thank you, worship team, uh, for setting us out in the right direction this morning. Um, I'm quite emotional uh, today. (laughs) Hello, I'm Lydia. I'm one of the pastors here. My husband Mark's at the back. Um, I've just realised there are new people. I should probably introduce myself and not just launch in. Um, But um, I want you to know something. And this is for all the regulars as well as the newcomers this morning. Um, You know, Hope Church is the kind of space, I hope, I pray, that we can just come in and be ourselves before God. And the worship is such a precious opportunity to sort of leave behind whatever's going on in your day or week. I mean, this morning I was weed on by a puppy. It's the same dress. I washed it and dried it this morning (laughs) because I don't like change and I couldn't think what else to wear because I'm a little bit neurotic like the rest of you. So I'm telling you this because... I had to leave all that behind. You know, I had to leave behind the puppy. It's, uh, I was talking to another uh, member of the congregation with a puppy at the moment. It's like having children. And uh, you can't just leave the house when you want to. You just can't. Um, and so, you know, I was a little bit late and um, later than I meant to because I was hoping to join the prayer meeting, so a lot late. Um, and, and, you know, these things just kind of happen. And you could come in here all frazzled. And I remember having young children and coming into church going, oh my gosh, you know, like whatever, whatever. Yeah, blah, blah, blah. Oh, Jesus. And that's how it should be. I think it's okay. It's okay because take opportunity in the worship to just lay it all down, especially if your children are not so young that they're tugging on you. So you can just come into the presence of God. So this is something for all of us this morning. And this is not my message yet. Oh, she always rambles. Um, But, you know, I think we need to know that this is a safe space. And I can't sing the words, I will fall at your feet without wanting to go down on the ground. So some of you may have seen that I knelt, but I want you to know we may not be a church with cushions to make kneeling comfortable. That doesn't mean you shouldn't kneel should you feel you want to. I want you to see each of these seats like a zone between you and God. And it doesn't matter what anyone else is doing or what anyone else is thinking. You sit, you sit, you stand, you stand, you kneel, you kneel. You want space going to the aisle and lay flat on your face if you need to, because it's between you and God. And there is something so precious about the worship that we bring to God and what he brings into our lives and this morning I was so moved I was moved because I am a royalist I I was already moved this week when when the queen died but um but I was moved because that woman had faith and that woman I've read that she desired more than anything else that her children would follow in that faith and I was moved this morning to tears not because of any personal problem right now, but because I actually felt God's desire for people to come to him. So I'm going to give you an opportunity at the end of my message, 
But if you do not know the Lord Jesus as your Lord and Saviour, there is nothing greater you will ever do in life. There is no accomplishment. There is nothing you can attain that is more important than everlasting life in Jesus Christ, the Saviour. And that is what the Queen had. And that is what she desires for her children and for the nation. And let me say, I posted on Facebook yesterday, God save the King. And I mean it, God Please save King Charles III. May he be yours forever. Amen. Okay. (laughs) So if you didn't get it, the brief version, too long didn't read version of what I just said is, when you come into Hope Church, this is your space with God. Take it, use it, experience it, allow it, and don't worry about it. Okay, anything goes. Good. Okay. Let's get to our scripture today. I decided not to make it, you know, not to change where we are. Um, You'll see that some of what it is, is relevant in some ways anyway. Um, But we're not changing where we've gone in the scriptures. I believe God has called us to this scripture today for such a time as this. So we've been taking a very slow, I mean so slow, walk through the book of Luke. This is like week 80-something on just the book of Luke, and we're only in Luke chapter 12. We are taking section by section by section of Luke. So today we have got to Luke chapter 12, verses 54 to 56. And in my Bible, it was was titled Interpreting the Time. This is what it says, verse 54. He, He, Jesus, also said to the crowds, when you see a cloud rising in the west, you say at once, a shower is coming. And so it happens. And when you see the south wind blowing, you say, there will be scorching heat. And it happens. You hypocrites. Oh, why do I always get the ones with the hypocrites in it? Anyway, you hypocrites. You know how to interpret the appearance of earth and sky. But why do you not know how to interpret the present time? Well, at first glance, this seems to be a passage about interpreting the weather, doesn't it, a little bit? And the British have a reputation for an obsession with the weather, let's be honest. In fact, can I have a show of hands? Who's already mentioned the weather today? Oh my, this is brilliant, I love it. Okay, wonderful. Well, you actually are in keeping with the studies because 94% of Brits have had a conversation about the weather in the last six hours, but that would be quite a long time and into the night at this point in the day. But also a whopping 38%, which I would say happened in this room, say they have mentioned the weather in the last 60 minutes. So, this means that at almost any moment in this country, at least a third of the population is either talking about the weather, has already done so, or is about to do so. And guess what? You're all in it now, because I just did so. You're all in this conversation. We are now. But many of you know that I am only half British. The other half of me is Spanish. I don't know if it's the left or the right, but I am half Spanish. My dad is Spanish. And I've just returned uh, from a short visit to Spain where I think the weather was discussed even more than I ever discuss it in England. My dad comes from a coastal town in the region of Granada and they seem to have an obsession with the wind. 
I am not joking. They nod seriously and knowingly declare, yep, this wind, it's the Poniente. Yep, this wind, the Levante. And it seems the winds are the reason for everything. The sea is cold today because of the Poniente wind today. Oh, yeah, we couldn't take the boats out yesterday due to the Levante wind. Are you feeling confused or distracted? Ah, yes. It's because of the Levante wind. Uh, what else have we got? And, of course, yes, there are those days where you feel like the day has put you into an oven. It is so hot you can barely breathe. It feels so hot it's like an oven, and they frantically fan themselves and will declare, it's the Sirocco wind from the Sahara Desert's fault. That's why it's so hot. So it's not just the British who talk about the weather. And the listeners of Jesus shared a similar obsessive knowledge of the weather too, which is why it starts there in our scripture today. Their culture, alongside the Spanish and the Brits, in weather observation and discussion, are because, basically, everything like fishing and farming is, is, relies on weather patterns. You will get a better crop if you pay attention to the weather. You will have a better time out at sea trying to find those fish if you pay attention to the weather. So Jesus' listeners knew what the clouds meant because they lived by the weather. This is what Jesus said to them, verse 54 again. When you see a cloud rising in the west, you say at once, a shower is coming, and so it happens. And when you see the south wind blowing, you say there will be scorching heat. And it happened. You see, they had learned by observation and experience how to interpret the clouds and could make really confident predictions about the weather. But they had not applied as much observation towards the greater things of God. Verse 56. You hypocrites, you know how to interpret the appearance of earth and sky, but why do you not know how to interpret the present time? See, Jesus rebuked the crowd for missing the signs of the important times they were living in. And did you notice who Jesus is expecting to be interpreting the signs of the times? Was it just his disciples, the ones directly from him, learning from him, sorry? Was it just the Pharisees and Sadducees and any other UCs that boasted great scriptural understanding? Was it... The mothers and children, was it the men, was it the widows, was it Henry, the mild man in janitor? That ages me, Hong Kong fooey reference there for you all. Who was Jesus talking to? Verse 54, he also said to the crowds. Who was he talking to? Everyone, everyone. They could demonstrate that they understood the weather. And perhaps, let's be honest, they elevated themselves to be quite wise and a little bit of pride because the weather was not a mystery anymore, not like them ancients. It followed patterns and the signs were clearly there to readily observe for those that understood. But yet, they were missing the more significant and incredibly obvious signs that they were witnessing in their lives right in front of them in the person of Jesus the personification and outworking of God's promises from the scriptures. 
Salvation and healing prophecies were all being fulfilled in their presence and they were blindly missing it because they didn't interpret the obvious signs that he was quite clearly their Messiah, the one they were waiting for. And I think it's worth noting that in Luke's account that we've been following, this appears to be the same crowd that gathered back in Luke 11. So this is when they gathered, Luke 11 verse 14. Jesus was driving out a demon that was mute. When the demon left, the man who had been mute spoke and the crowd was amazed. This is that crowd. This is the crowd that watched that. Talk about a sign of who Jesus was. Come on, he made a mute man speak by completely setting him free of the power of the demonic realm. Jesus, in that moment, showed his high authority and power over the spiritual realm. In just one miraculous act, just that one, there were visible signs of the times the people were living in. Yet they simply weren't noticing the signs and interpreting them because between Luke 11 and now when we've got here there's all these silly little conversations and they're missing the main point Jesus was worried that they were missing it completely so Jesus rebuked the whole crowd not just the clever ones not just the called ones not just the ministers all of them for not interpreting what was quite clearly in front of them. That crowd that gathered by a demonstration of healing and deliverance, yet they weren't putting the sights together with the sounds they'd heard spoken over many years in their synagogues and temples. The fulfilling of the prophecies the Messiah had arrived. So what of us? If Jesus spoke to the whole crowd, rebuking them for not paying attention to the signs, should we not also start to think about our time in history, his story? Should we not be thinking about our time now in his story? Is there more, let me ask you, to come in biblical prophecy that has not yet been completed? Yes. Do the scriptures give us signs to look out for to interpret the days in which we live? Yes. So, we are just like the crowd that Jesus was talking to in Luke 12. You know, we confidently do talk and make predictions over that weather, born out of our knowledge and experience. And of course, there's that famous time many years ago when they got it completely wrong. There's no wind coming. There's no storm, they said. It was one of the worst storms the UK's experienced. But... Although we frequently get it wrong, we still make these predictions, don't we? Confidently, confidently. But we don't even notice the signs of the times we're living in because we don't know the scriptures and prophecies well enough to recognise that they're even a sign in the first place. Our knowledge, I believe, and experience of God is lacking, so we don't feel able to interpret signs. And can I be honest with you? This is something that when I read it, I was like, oh, do I have to preach on this? Um, Because I don't like trying to predict the times myself. Probably because I am lacking in knowledge and experience of God, probably, as much as anyone, (laughs) because that's a bit that's scary, isn't it? Trying to predict where we are in time. So I'm being honest with you because I've tried to avoid this for quite long enough. So I'm being pulled up by my bootstraps myself this morning. 
let's be honest. When things happen, and over the past few years, some things have happened, we interpret these current times, how? By the world's way of figuring things out. Whatever the thing is that's happening, and just give you a few ideas, I'll just chuck some words out so you recognise what's been happening in the last few years. We've had Brexit, and we've had COVID, and we've had multiple Prime Ministers, and, um, and now the death of the Queen, and I'm, I'm sure there's more. Uh, war in Ukraine, you know, I'm just chucking things out, they're not in my notes here. Things are happening all the time. But how do we get our information and how do we interpret our information? We do it the world's way. Because whatever the thing is that's happening, we follow the godless society's interpretation of what's happening. And I really don't mean to offend. I am simply describing our society as godless in an appropriate use of that word. Because on the whole, God has been removed as a consideration from most science experiments or legal decisions or media or programming. In describing our society by the word godless, I literally mean less or no God consideration being applied. You see, most news outlets and those people with some man-given authority tell us about something, come at it without considering God or his word at all. For example, news broadcasters gather the information, they'll include some speculations of the observed news item, and they will deliver it without even a moment's first glance at the Bible. They present the evidence plus some speculation. They might even invite experts to make predictions from this information. But they don't look for the signs of God's bigger plan within this. God's picture within it as found in the Bible. People of God, I am talking to those who have Jesus as your Lord and Saviour. We are not supposed to be making predictions and declarations about the world and our lives based upon the world's view of things because they're not including God in their view. We are supposed to be making our predictions and our declarations about what's going on based on God's word. Now at home, I tried to look for it, but I couldn't find it. Many of you know I used to be a children's pastor, so I have a lot of children's Bibles. The one I couldn't find, sadly, this morning, was a uh, Bible that had a magnifying glass in it. And when you turned the pages, there would be uh, um, like little codes that you could... When you put the magnifying glass over it, it kind of changed what it looked like. And you could see, because it wasn't really a magnifying glass. Um, <laughs> it was like something else. Um, and you could see something you couldn't see before. So there were little kind of codes in there that you could unravel by looking through it. What I could find was this one, so I thought I'd bring it anyway because it's, it's nice to see something. Um, so this is a 3D Bible of Jesus, well, miracles of Jesus. So you have any given, oh, funny, that is my favourite story in the whole Bible, Jesus calms the storm, and that's where I've opened it up. So you have these wonderful, um, you know, pictures that look a bit dodgy, actually, with the natural eye <laughs> and fuzzy. But when you look at it through the little looking glass thing that they provide with it, then it all comes to life. It all becomes bigger and more clear. If anybody fancies having a look at this, they are welcome to, if they're bored by my talking, I'm just going to chuck it off to the side in front of Isaac. 
and they can come and get it if they want to. Right. Um, so, I wanted to show you the other one, but this one will do. Um, because the Bible can be itself like a magnifying glass. It shows the truth of our current situation. It is like that, that coloured lenses that brings the picture to life of what's going on around us. Taking our current affairs, things that are happening around us and in the world, to the Bible will reveal the important parts of the picture, the spiritual truth, the things that we could be praying into or praising over. God gave us his word. Isaiah 40 verse 8 reminds us that the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of God will stand forever. He gave us his word because it divides and discerns hidden truths. Like Hebrews 4 verse 12 describes it as living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit of joints and marrow and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. This is what the Bible exists for. The Word of God is not just a dusty tone to weigh down your pressed flowers. It brings light and revelation and steadies us. That's why Psalm 119 verse 105 says, Your Word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I think when Jesus spoke to the crowds listening, he spoke to us now too. He wants us not to be ignorant. He wants us to be mature, to learn and discern. You know, we have been born again. And in a way that when you first come to Jesus Christ, you are like a little spiritual baby. You've got lots to learn. And in Hebrews uh, 5, um, they talk about this a lot because um, it says about being a baby and needing milk. And that's okay, you know. It's not being spoken against. But it's important that we don't just stay drinking milk. If you still only drunk milk, you wouldn't actually function very well. You'd be missing quite a lot. You need more. And that's why we um, wean our babies into more. Um, and Hebrews 5 verse 14 says, But solid food is for the mature. For those who have their powers of discernment, trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. So I, I think that needs hearing again. Powers of discernment are trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. And I'm not saying that you, know, that you need to call something good or evil when something happens. What I mean is that we should be discerning, we should be understanding with a spiritual power that we carry by using the Bible but as our, as our, um, our clue, our, our cue, the thing that, that interprets it all. Jesus said so. And we literally already have God, God's word, sorry, as an interpreter. So I think this is the picture that God gave me, so I'm sharing it. We can pass things that happen around us over the Bible like a scanner in a supermarket. Each significant moment has a sort of barcode, a secret code embedded in it, just like the Bible I wanted to show you. Um, <laughs> and you pass it over the Bible and it should decipher the code and ring a bell. Beep, it rings a bell. As we realise the significance of the sign. And in case that is really just too much metaphorical nonsense for some of you today, what I mean is this, because I'm very metaphorical, I'm really sorry. But this is the simple version. Stuff happens. When it does, check that stuff against the Word of God. Here's the stuff, here's the Word of God. 
see what the Bible says about the stuff that's happening. And in doing this, we will notice the signs around us and God's bigger plan. And we're only going to get better at it by practicing because that's what Hebrews 5 just told us. But you know, if we don't know what God says, what God's word actually says, we're going to struggle to use it to make sense of things that happen. That's why us preachers go on and on about reading your Bible. It's really just to get to know it. And you know what? We struggle as much as you do just to read it for just reading it. So find ways to get to know what the Word says. Find your ways. In fact, encourage one another on ways that you have found to make the Word speak to you so that you pick it up and you grab it and you have it to use it. Luke 12, verse 56, we'll just go back to that a minute. Jesus said, you hypocrites, you know how to interpret the appearance of earth and sky, but why do you not know how to interpret the present time? The question Jesus asks is why? Why do we not know how to interpret the present time? And I am sure that the answer is our lack of knowledge, our lack of intimate understanding of God and his ways, the ways he works, our lack of confidence in our own calling or even fully grasping the purpose and privilege that we actually have with him and through his Holy Spirit. Lack of knowledge or understanding of what God's word says about the future. So, very briefly, I hope, today, before we go home, let's have a very brief peek at just a few things that we can pass across our biblical scanner that might beep and point us to greater understanding of our current present time. And spoilers, we are likely to be somewhere in what the Bible calls the last days. How many days the last are and how far through those days we have lived so far, I'm going to leave you to ponder. And you can start Googling it if you want, because other people have opinions too. And there are many things that point to us being in the last days, and I can't possibly... We could take a month over it, <laughs> and we still wouldn't have covered everything, I reckon. So here we go. Let's just look at a few things. The Apostle Peter, who was right there in the crowd that Jesus was speaking to in Luke 12... He heard how important it was to interpret the signs. And this is what Peter said in a letter to Peter 3, 1 to 3. This is now the second letter that I'm writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder. What does he want to remind them of? That you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Saviour through your apostles. He's saying, look for the signs. Knowing this, first of all, know the signs. <laughs> Knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. So let's pass it across our biblical scanner. What do you think? Do you know of? Are you friends with? Are there people in your life and are there people on TV who could be disclassed as scoffers of our faith? Let's have a look. Let's pass it over our scanner. Beep. Oh, yeah. Definitely. Okay. And he goes on. 2 Peter 3 verse 5 to 6. For they deliberately overlook this fact that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God and that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. Can I tell you, I have never noticed that second half, that verse six. 
before, um, I can see that scoffers would not understand or believe maybe in the creation of the world by God's word, okay? But what I hadn't noticed was that bit, that, that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perish. They scoff at the flood as well. And I have seen, um, I home-educated my son for several years, and we used to watch science programs, and I have seen scoffing at the idea of the flood when there is a lot of evidence for the idea of the flood as well. Does our God less society scoff at our beliefs and overlook the spiritual realm, removing the word of God in creation and doubting and scoffing at the idea of the flood? Beep. Okay. Well, that's signs of the last days. Let's have a look at 2 Timothy 3, 1 to 5. But understand this, that in the last days, there will come times, this is written by Paul, the Apostle Paul this time, there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Beep! I'm not even going to go into that. Just watch the news if you're not sure. Our world is certainly full of it. But look at verse 5. Having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Another one that jumped out to me when I was doing this study. There are many nice, good people. Of course, so the, the list before it is all the naughty stuff, is all the bad stuff that we've read on the news. Um, then you've got verse 5. Having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Often there are people, especially in Malmesbury, I've noticed, especially in our society, who are doing really good stuff. They are really good. They're better than most of the churches are doing. They're doing a better job a lot of the time, let me be honest, of caring for people. But there is actually something missing. There's just a little something missing. You know, there's a, a death cafe. Let's go talk about death. Something's missing. Life. We can have life, but that won't be included, I don't think, in the death cafe. There is, um, we can stand for Ukraine. That's really important and nice. But to stand and pray for Ukraine is powerful. Just a little something missing. We're close, but not so, so not there, because it's having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Beep. And these are the signs of the last days. So, one, uh, 2 Timothy 3 then says in verse 7, and I'm using the Amplified, always learning and listening to anybody who will teach them, but never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Do you know people like that? I certainly know people like that, who are constantly trying to, you know, they're going to seminars, they, learn, they pay for these things. They pay for this information that they get over and over again in these different places, searching for something, but never quite getting to the truth. They could come into Hope Church and get it for free every Sunday, but they don't. They look everywhere else. They think they know what we believe. They think that they are cleverer and they are looking all the time for learning, more learning, more stuff, but never quite getting to the truth. Beep. Okay, we're getting a lot of beeps on this Bible scanner now. So 
I'm not even going to touch upon Jesus' own teaching on the signs of the end times. Well, I am. I'm going to very quickly read them out like a big list, okay? And you can just beep to yourself, or I might occasionally. Wars and rumours of wars, beep. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, beep. This is what Jesus said in Mark 13, verse 7 to 8. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines, beep. And in Luke 21, he lists that, and then he adds pestilences and pestilences. You could translate pestilences as a plague or maybe a pandemic. Beep. Matthew 24, verse 9, you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. Beep. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. Matthew 24, 11 to 12. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. And the gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. So I've gone the quickest run through, and I didn't put them on the screen for you because I knew I wasn't going to quote them fully. But there is a lot that Jesus said about the end times. So I want you to go and look it up yourself if you're interested. You want to look at Mark 13, Matthew Matthew 24 and Luke 21, okay? And those are the things you can go and look at and see what Jesus says are signs of the end of times. And you will probably be able to tick a lot of it off. Beloved children of God, I believe we are called to use God's word to interpret the signs for ourselves, for ourselves, each of us. I can't interpret it for you. You have to interpret it yourself, Our interpretation of things that happen mustn't be guided by the world's opinions and experts. You know, if we follow their train of thought, their interpretation, we will find ourselves in worry and anxiety. And it will be over all those things I listed earlier. Brexit, lorry drivers, COVID, monkeypox, rising fuel bills, or even the death of our dear late queen. Even the introduction of a new prime minister. Even the introduction of a new king. What does it mean? How will it be? That's a scary time. We cannot use the world to interpret these things. Ephesians 4 verse 17 to 18 says, Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They do not know. They've hardened themselves. They've said, no, God, I won't have God. I don't want to consider God. So if I'm not considering God, I've hardened my heart and I can't see all that there is to see. Judas Iscariot failed to discern the times he lived in correctly. Don't be like Judas. We need to get better at interpreting the signs. And there are so many more than I've even gone close to mentioning today in the Scriptures. And I think it's important that we are wise as serpents and innocents as, as doves, as Jesus told us to be in Matthew 10, 16. So not jumping up and telling everyone the end is nigh. I'm not sure that's very effective, let me be honest. But remember, just because you see dark clouds accumulating does not always mean a storm will happen. But we should be observing and discerning the signs and then be wise on top of that about what to do with that information. And we also need to remember there's a limit about what we are allowed to know or discern. Matthew 24 verse 36 says, But concerning that day and hour, this is the end, the end of life on earth, 
No one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. Jesus himself does not know the day of his return. You will not know. Therefore, I actually think our message for today is that we should keep our finger on the pulse. We should be keeping a watchful eye on those signs, but we shouldn't be waiting around looking for a secure answer about when that day comes. And if you think about it, if you knew for sure that Jesus would return in exactly three hours' time, what would you do? And I really want you to think about it, because I thought about it, and it is shocking, okay? Three hours' time, that's it. Jesus is returning. You've got three hours. What are you going to do? Most of us are going to be calling our loved ones or travelling to them. We're going to try a lot harder to get through to them than we have ever tried before. We are going to be telling them about Christ's death and resurrection that's available for them, the salvation that comes through that. Because the story for those that do not belong to him does not end well. And I believe we would risk forwards far more determinedly if we knew there was just hours left. To, to catch them. You know, I think all our fear, all our pride, and all our embarrassment would fall away and we'd run around like the ones with the way out in a disaster movie. If you've ever watched, you know, The Towering Inferno or whatever, there are some people, they know the way, they know the, this way, this way, and they try and grab people out of trouble, helping as many to safety before this whole thing explodes. We would do that. I am sure that if you knew you had three hours, you would do that. And it occurs to me that there are plenty of signs that point to us to being well into what the Bible calls the last days. So actually, there's already plenty of reason to be spreading that hope and certainty of salvation much more passionately and desperately than we do. I cried this morning because I suddenly felt a desperate urge that people would know. People must know. And pastors should cry. Pastors have to cry for the people. We have to want people to come to Christ. The gospel is good news. It really is. And the signs seem to tell us we have limited days remaining to ensure that our loved ones receive it. So I'm not telling you that the end is nigh or the tide is high, but you better be holding on and making sure Jesus is your number one when the time arrives. Let's pray. Father God, help us interpret the signs around us and better understand your purposes in the things that happen. Jesus, help us to become better at handling the meat of your word and to not shy away from all that you call us to do. We ask for your help and courage to give the good news of your salvation to all those we care about. And we pray that many of our loved ones will be saved in these last days. Amen. And just before we close, because I can't close without it, if you want to be sure that you are one of those saved I've talked about, you have an opportunity now. I am running at you through the burning corridor and I am saying, this is the way. The Bible says that all have sinned and gone against God and that the wages of sin is death. But 
I told you it's good news, and that sounds like bad news. The good news is that Jesus took that burden to the cross. He removed our sin debt once and for all in his death. Then he even defeated death completely through his resurrection so that we may live forever with him in paradise. And all he asks in return is that we acknowledge his sacrifice and resurrection and the power of which only will transfer onto us when we do so. All we have to do is come in agreement with what he already did and that power of life eternal is ours. Romans 10 verse 9 to 10 says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Simples. For with the heart, one believes and is justified. So you're made right, right in here. And with the mouth, one confesses and is saved. By speaking it out, you confirm it. So here's your opportunity to speak it out with your mouth. Confess it with your mouth by praying this prayer aloud as an acceptance and agreement with Jesus' death and resurrection. If you're already saved, let's pray together aloud anyway. And if you want to come into this promise today, then this is your opportunity. Let's pray this aloud together, the words on the screen. If you, by the way, do not know Jesus and do not want to, you do not have to pray this aloud. I, I think that's worth saying because it is your choice. But I am saying, let's pray this together aloud now. Father God, I thank you for your great plans that include me. Lord Jesus, thank you for your death and resurrection that brought me life. Today, I accept and declare that Jesus Christ is my Lord and Saviour. Fill me with your spirit and give me a holy boldness to share this message of salvation with others. I am forgiven, I am set free, and I am on my way to heaven because I have Jesus in my heart. Amen. Amen. And it is that simple. So if you prayed that prayer for the first time today or any prayer like it for the first time today and you said, I want Jesus to be my Lord, that is it. He is. You are safe and secure in whatever happens, whatever the signs tell us that you have a safe and happy home in heaven with the Queen. Awesome. Have an awesome Sunday. And if you want to chat to me about anything, myself or Mark, we're always happy to pray with you as well. God bless you.